feast around the soda lake at Amboseli. Schilling's pictures of lions taken at night with his infamous flash powder are classics to this day. He was also a fine ornithologist and made a great collection of birds, many of them hitherto unknown. His handsome two-volume book, With Flashlight and Rifle, was first published in Berlin and translated into English in 1906. The books were received with great acclaim in Europe, and aroused an unprecedented interest in the German colony. Around 1900, there were fair numbers of white settlers, mostly farmers, living in the Rhodesias, who occasionally took friends out for a spot of shooting. Such hunts were normally casual, disorganized affairs. Shooting was still the operative word, rather than hunting. One of the best pioneer Rhodesia-based hunters was the immensely experienced Marcus Daly, who was sufficiently opportunistic to be regarded as both a professional white hunter and an ivory hunter. He began his career as a game trapper near the Zambezi River, catching animals to stock Cecil Rhodes's Kenilworth Zoo in England. Daly roamed across Africa, taking paying clients when he could get them, hunting ivory for himself when he could not. He was an accomplished hunter, who had a reputation for physical ferocity. Marcus Daly was known to have a habit of sending bullets whistling dangerously close to the feet of uninvited guests to his camp, particularly government officials, whom he loathed on sight. Daly hunted for a while in British East as well as other African countries, and he was friendly with early Nairobi white hunters Bill Judd and Tom Murray Smith, who was later to become president of the East African Professional Hunters Association. Some competitive resentment naturally arose between professional hunters operating in different areas. Marcus Daly, for one, must have resented the special aura that attached itself exclusively to the hunters of East Africa, for he wrote, The term white hunter is a purely Nairobi manufacture, and was never heard of in Rhodesia, where all the best hunters are found. Whether Marcus Daly liked it or not, the white hunters of Nairobi were a breed apart. Lionized by Ernest Hemingway and Robert Rourke, it was the white hunters of British and German East Africa who came to be portrayed on movie screens around the world. Modern-day authorities hold divergent views on the subject of just who should be accorded the title of Africa's first white hunter. There is equal uncertainty about precisely who first coined the term, but what is certain is that the term white hunter has been in common use in East Africa since the turn of the century. Emily Host and colonial historians accord the honour of first white hunter to either R. J. Cunningham or Bill Judd. White hunter Donald Kerr emphatically states it was Alan Black. J. A. Hunter maintained that it was the Hill cousins. It could even be argued that one of the first white hunters was in fact no stiff upper-lipped Victorian, but a Texan with the grand name of Peregrine, Peary to his clients, Hearn. In the 1840s, Hearn, no relation to the author, roamed the wilderness of the American West, making a living hunting and trapping. At the trading station called Brown's Hole on the Green River, upstream from the Colorado, Hearn's path crossed that of an English sportsman, a gentleman of fortune named Robert Barrell. The two men became fast friends, and Barrell proposed that as an experienced hunter, Peregrine Hearn should accompany him to various parts of the world. As Hearn wrote, if I would accompany him on his travels and hunting expeditions, he would take care that I was well provided in every respect. Hearn gladly accepted, and may actually have been the first white hunter from that era to have been paid for his services, which included hunting in Africa. 
In any event, Hearn's guiding activities closely resembled those of this century's first white hunters. By several reliable accounts, it was the chance meeting of hunter Alan Black and a reckless amateur hunter known as D, the fiery Lord Delamere, that led to the term White Hunter. Delamere had employed the youthful Alan Black to help out on one of his Somaliland safaris in the late 1890s. When Delamere settled in British East Africa, he purchased very large acreages of ranching country. At the time, he employed a Somali hunter to shoot meat for his employees, and he also hired Alan Black as a hunter. To differentiate between the two hunters, as well as on account of Black's surname, the Somali hunter was referred to as the Black Hunter, while Alan Black was always called the White Hunter. And from this difference, or so the story goes, White Hunter came into common usage. Black was therefore according to veteran hunter Donald Kerr of Kerr and Downey Safaris, Nairobi, the first man to operate in a professional capacity, taking out hunting parties for a living. And, Kerr adds, Black was one of the best that ever lived. Alan Black settled in British East Africa for good in 1903, although he continued to travel overseas during monsoon rainy seasons when he could not hunt. An original sportsman's game license, costing 750 rupees, was issued to Black by the East Africa Protectorate Government in June 1906, but that was certainly not his first game license. It is safe to say that about half a dozen men started in the safari business at about the same time. Kenya writer Emily Host states, It seems likely that R.J. Cunningham and Bill Judd, who came to East Africa in 1899, and George Outram and Leslie Tarleton, who followed in 1903, were among the first to take up professional hunting. Host gives the date of Cunningham's arrival in British East Africa as 1899, but others believe it was late 1901 or early 1902. Richard John Cunningham, known as R.J., and to the Africans as Masharubu, was a Scot, born on July the 4th, 1871. After attending Cambridge, he was briefly a whaler in the Arctic, a hunter and naturalist in Lapland, a meat hunter in Mozambique, and a transport rider in South Africa, before arriving in British East Africa. Whether Cunningham was the first of the professionals or not, it is generally conceded he was probably the leading white hunter of his day. At a slim six foot two, he was whipcord tough and came to epitomize the finest qualities sought by visiting sportsmen eager to hunt dangerous big game in company with an expert. Among his more famous clients were President Theodore Roosevelt, his son Kermit, and author and amateur hunter Frederick Courtney Sellus on Roosevelt's 1909 safari, and the American novelist Stuart Edward White. In 1906, Cunningham was the white hunter selected by American photographer Carl Akeley to lead an elephant and buffalo hunt in the Aberdare Mountains of British East Africa. Akeley, who had previously been mauled by a leopard in Somaliland, was a worldwide traveler and frequent visitor to Africa. A recent encounter on Mount Kenya had left him somewhat apprehensive of elephant. On that occasion, Akeley and his party were sporing a small herd of bull elephant that they hoped to photograph— he and his tracker had paused to check cartridges for the gun that he carried for protection when a solo elephant suddenly charged them in an unprovoked attack. The elephant hit Akeley with its trunk, breaking his nose and splitting his cheek open to the teeth. The beast got Akeley down on his back between its tusks and then tried to crush him with its massive forehead. Akeley passed out, at which point the elephant unaccountably lost interest in him, possibly assuming its victim was already dead.
After that, Akeley did not wish to take unnecessary chances, and for his expedition on behalf of the Field Museum of Chicago, he took the precaution of signing up R.J. Cunningham. Akeley's confidence was well placed, for Cunningham displayed his usual cool skill when working among elephants at close range. The successful safari ended with the two parting with mutual admiration. Cunningham refused any payment from Akeley on the grounds that the trip had been a scientific endeavour. Coming from a Scotchman, it was quite unexpected, Akeley wrote, but it was typical of Cunningham's generosity and indicative of his interest in scientific work. Cunningham's most celebrated safari was with Teddy Roosevelt in 1909-1910. The story persists that on the toss of a coin by Nairobi safari outfitter Leslie Tarleton, Cunningham was chosen to lead the safari rather than fellow white hunter Bill Judd, who lost the toss. In reality, Cunningham had been selected to lead the safari well in advance of Roosevelt's arrival. Judd was, however, invited to join the safari for a while to hunt with Roosevelt and Cunningham. Of Cunningham, Roosevelt declared, "'I doubt if Mr. Cunningham's equal in handling such expeditions as ours exists. He combines the qualities of a first-class explorer, guide, field naturalist, and safari manager.' R.J. Cunningham was not afraid to speak up to denounce the establishment for injustices to native African workers during the early days of the colonial British East Africa Protectorate. At one vociferous meeting in Nairobi, Cunningham quietly put in a word for amelioration of labourers' conditions. He spoke movingly of improper food supplies and advocated that conditions promised to the natives should be carried out. Ranked alongside Cunningham, Black, and Judd as one of the top white hunters of his day was Arthur Cecil Hoy, an Englishman born at Wimbledon in 1883. On his first solo journey in 1904, he walked over a thousand miles of country.